Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report for Thursday, April 28th, 2022. The Climate Report broadcasts and podcasts on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email climatereport at kvmr.org. Today's Climate Report starts off with some remaining Earth Day-related events, then we focus on some national news and cover lots of statewide activity on the climate before ending on personal solutions. And remember, all Climate Report shows are archived at KVMR's podcast page for re-listening and sharing. Well, one event is happening right now at the Rockland campus for Sierra College. It's the Earth and Environment Career Night. It started at 6 p.m. a half an hour ago, and it goes until 8 p.m. You'll get a chance to ask questions to professionals in the environmental fields, what career opportunities might exist, what the various requirements are for different types of careers, advice on internships and jobs that provide experience needed to advance a career for the earth or the environment, as well as learn about what employers are looking for. There will be a panel discussion and plenty of time to network. That's the Earth and Environment Career Night happening right now from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Sierra College Rockland campus. This Saturday is the first inaugural Earth Fest celebration in downtown Nevada City. That's April 30th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. This event is intended to inform and inspire all who intend and includes live music, special performances, interactive booths and demos, kids' activities, Earth-friendly vendors, organic foods, and more. The event will be held on Union Street in downtown Nevada City. Also coming up next month is Project Wild Edges, a unique low-carbon theater production because it is taking place outside in the woods on a local trail. Project Wild Edges presents an outdoor theatrical experience exploring our relationship to nature and the values at the heart of our land practices. The performances take place along the Wolf Creek Trail starting at the sinkhole entrance off of Freeman Lane near Tripp's Auto Body. And the trail is a wild edge where our suburban life intersects with nature. Each show culminates in a shared discussion with local experts in the field of land management. And this theatrical project in nature is funded by the California Humanities for All Project grant and sponsored by the Miners Foundry and the Nevada County Arts Council. There are two shows every Saturday in May at 4.30 and at 6. The shows start promptly, or sorry, 4 p.m. and 6.30. Every Saturday in May, 4 p.m. and 6.30, the shows start promptly. They suggest arriving 20 minutes early, be prepared for sun, bring plenty of water, wear good shoes. Each ticket holder will be required to sign a waiver of liability for the theater in the woods. Chairs will be provided at the end of each show as well as a public Potty and Project Wild Edges is also looking for some remaining volunteers to take part, acting as forest animals or peoples for any of the show. They're looking for folks who can commit to at least one rehearsal and to commit to at least two shows on one Saturday. So for more information, you can reach out to Project Wild Edges. Speaking of wild edges, more international news that's underscoring the vast importance of taking action to bring the climate back into balance. Researchers have warned that the climate crisis 
maybe fueling future pandemics that are potentially devastating. New study says that there will be perhaps 15,000 instances of viruses leaping between species over the next 50 years, with the climate crisis helping fuel a potentially devastating spread of disease that can imperil animals and people and further risk pandemics. As the planet heats up, many animal species will be forced to move into new areas to find suitable conditions. They will bring their parasites and pathogens with them, causing them to spread between species that haven't interacted before. This will heighten the risk of what is called zoonotic spillover, where viruses transfer from animals to people, potentially triggering another pandemic of the magnitude of COVID-19. Said Gregory Albury, an expert in disease ecology at Georgetown University and co-author of the paper that was published in Nature, quote, as the world changes, the face of disease will change too. He says, this work provides more intro incontrovertible evidence that the coming decades will not only be hotter, but sicker. Albury said that climate change is shaking ecosystems to their core and causing interactions between species that are already likely to be spreading viruses. He said that even drastic action to address global heating now won't be enough to halt the risk of spillover events. Albury said this is happening, and it's not preventable even in the best-case climate change scenarios, so we need to put measures in place to build health infrastructure to protect animal, and human populations. The research paper states that currently there are at least 10,000 types of virus capable of infecting humans that are already circulating silently in wild animal populations. And until relatively recently, such crossover infections were unusual. But as more habitat has been destroyed for agriculture and urban expansion, more people have come into contact with infected animals. Climate change is exacerbating this problem by helping circulate disease between species that previously did not encounter each other. The study was extremely thorough. They forecasted the shifts in the geographic range of more than 3,000 separate mammal species due to climate and land use changes. They looked at it every year out until 2070, and they found that even under a relatively low level of global warming, should we all act fast enough, that there would still be at least 15,000 cross-species transmission events of one or more viruses during this time. The study also called out that bats will account for the majority of this disease spread because of their ability to travel large distances. Returning now to the United States specifically, before we focus on California, there is some good news in the charge to turn as much of our electricity systems to renewable energy. There are a lot of myths that say it's impossible to switch to 100% renewable energy. It would cost too much. It wouldn't be able to meet the needs of an electrified transportation sector. And those continue to be proven false. The advocacy group, the Union of Concerned Scientists, just ran a new study using the latest modeling from National Renewable Energy Laboratory that looks at our bulk power system across America, both generation and transmission. They looked at every day through the year 2050. And this is what they found, that if the 24 states in what's called the U.S. Climate Alliance. Now, the U.S. Climate Alliance is a bipartisan coalition of governors across America 
of both red and blue states that are committed to reducing greenhouse gas emissions consistent with the Paris Agreement. So there are 24 states in this U.S. climate alliance. If all 24 of them set a mandate for 100% renewable electricity by the year 2035, a mere 12 years away, they could meet that standard easily while also achieving lower electricity prices than if they did nothing. The Union of Concerned Scientists study looked at the potential of action by what they call self-identified leadership states in America, members of the U.S. Climate Alliance. And they modeled a 56% increase in electricity demand due to these states electrifying their heating of homes and businesses, as well as electrifying transportation. So they looked at increasing power demand by 56% to electrify everything, then making it 100% renewable energy. And in those 24 states over the next 20 years, the cost would be one-tenth of a percent lower than if they did absolutely nothing. The UCS report is titled On the Road to 100% Renewables. And in addition to it being slightly cheaper, as well as electrifying roads and homes and providing renewable energy, that it would add health benefits and job benefits as well in these 24 states. In other good news for America, yet again, another poll shows that climate change proposals are favored by solid majorities in the United States. Support for specific climate change policies ranges from 59% to 89% of the public, depending on what the policy is. Regardless, it's a solid majority. This is according to the Gallup poll. Gallup's annual environmental poll gauges public support for six different proposals that have been advanced as part of the climate change policy in America. These include providing tax credits for homeowners who buy solar, higher fuel efficiency standards for cars, as well as incentivizing EVs. And Americans widely favor each of the six proposals designed to limit greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to climate change. The most tepid support, the 59%, is in favor of spending federal money for building more EV charging stations in the U.S., but it ratchets up to 89% support when it comes to providing tax credits to Americans who install clean energy systems in their homes. Now, a broader question in the survey, in addition to do you support these six policies, they ask Americans directly about whether they prioritize the environment or the economy. Environmental protection versus economic growth. Similar results came out. 53% of Americans polled say protecting the environment is the greater priority. 42% of Americans say economic growth is more important. That's relatively close. Gallup has asked about this environment versus the economy trade-off frequently since 1984. They have almost 40 years of data on this. What's interesting is Americans have almost always prioritized the environment, except in weaker economic times when they have been less likely to do so. For example, between 2009 and 2013, when there was a real big push to address the climate, unfortunately, the U.S. was emerging from the Great Recession. And at that time, Americans were finally more likely to say economic growth should be more important 
than the planet. Currently, with the U.S. facing high inflation, record gas prices, and an uneven recovery from the pandemic, the margin in favor of environmental protection is relatively small at 53% to 42%. To put that in perspective, before the pandemic, in 2019, and as recently as early as 2020, Americans prioritized the environment over the economy by roughly 2 to 1, more like a 60 to 30 margin. With the economy where it is, suddenly it's dropped to 53 to 42. Another interesting but hopeful note, though, is they say that 43% of Americans worry a great deal about climate change and another 22% worry a fair amount. Put those together and 65% of Americans worry a great deal or a fair amount about the climate. The public supports a wide range of policies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions that can produce climate change. But unfortunately, federal legislation is no longer driven by what the public actually wants. Speaking of what the public wants, a lot of the public wants cheaper gas prices. And depending on what media source you listen to, there is an unending list of reasons why they're high and how to lower them. But there are some behind-the-scenes people that are really strongly pulling the strings on the price of oil. The Guardian has a great new article with a couple little quick tidbits here. I will put this on our social media page for people who want to read more. But the price of gas oftentimes has almost nothing to do with supply. From the article, it says veteran oil analyst Philip Verliger has warned that supply and demand fundamentals have been rendered almost irrelevant for oil prices. Oil prices are a key determinant of the price of gas at the pump. Overall, global oil production is nearly 5 million more barrels a day greater this year than last year. Yet U.S. politicians on both sides of the aisle have called for even more drilling. Oil exports from Russia into the global oil market have not been slowed by either the war or sanctions. Now, there are certainly other factors, mainly fear, putting upward pressure on prices, but the price of oil, natural gas, and other vital fossil fuel commodities are today primarily set by energy traders, whose actions are stoking rising prices and volatility. For example, since the invasion of Ukraine, despite there being absolutely no change in supply of oil, the price vaulted to $124, where it started at 90 then it fell back to 95 shot back up to 114 before sliding down to 103 That's 60% higher than the price of oil one year ago. No change in supply. The same stuff is coming out of the same ground. The same amount, actually more. The same exact process, just way more money due to energy traders. Well, in some interesting news out of the scientific realm, eight years are left to turn the ship around. Scientists shared with CBS News how climate change could change daily life. The world is rapidly shifting and the impact of human-caused climate change is increasingly evident. Atmospheric physicist Alex Hall is the director of the UCLA Center of Climate Science. It's one of three climate scientists that sat down with CBS News. He says, we're in a very different place now from where we were even just a couple decades ago. Hall, who in the 1990s was among the teams that initially predicted the effects of global warming, extreme heat, ice loss, and sea level rise, said those predictions once felt a little bit like abstractions. 
Today, however, they're observed almost daily. And without urgent action, these kinds of events and others will be more intense and frequent, Hall said, and change the scope of daily life for everyone forever. CBS spoke to another researcher, Professor Dan Bluestein, an ecology researcher. He said, today's situation on Earth is decades in the making. It takes years to start seeing the effects of climate change, he said. And once those effects are seen, like we're seeing today, they're essentially burned in. He said, quote, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. The devil with climate change is we can stop burning carbon tomorrow, all carbon tomorrow. And we would still have burning effects from the carbon that's in the atmosphere. This is why experts say carbon emissions must be addressed immediately. In 2020, carbon dioxide accounted for roughly 80% of all greenhouse gas emissions. Failure to limit this gas over the next eight years, according to the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, this will bring about so much warming that the next decade, the 2030s, will bring extreme events un precedented in the observational record. It's a grim future in store if we don't take action swiftly. Well, he spoke to a third scientist, Deborah Brosnan, a scientist and marine resilience specialist who told CBS News, we're not going to go back to the way it was 20 years ago for our planet. Rather, things are just going to rapidly change. And the window of opportunity for a livable future, this group said, is rapidly closing. But Hall says that doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing everything to mitigate. On the contrary, he said, it just underscores the urgency for action. Bloomstein, Brosnan, and Hall all agreed that the future is going to look vastly different than what we know today, but large-scale and urgent action is the only way to make the harshest of that future reality more manageable. Bloomstein said, we have the technology and knowledge to do it. But he said, we really are running out of time. He said, this isn't a lack of science problem. This is a lack of will problem, Bloomstein told CBS News. Brosnan, for her part, said, it's messy. We don't have a coherent transition policy at any level of society, not for government, not for communities or the private sector. But KVMR listeners, this is where we come in. They end by saying personal choices matter. Yes, corporations and governments are big actors involved in the crisis, but the scientists that CBS spoke with explained individuals also play an important role. Brosnan said it comes back to what products do you buy? What companies do you choose to support? Personal choices matter. How do you vote? Do you get engaged? Individual choices and sustainable lifestyle changes, they explained, can help create larger conversations and create a sense of community around climate change and the health of the environment in general. In the end, Bloomstein says, if we don't respect others on Earth, we're never going to work together with people that might have different beliefs to solve the problems we need to solve. It really is that resurgence of the community spirit that is going to solve our problems. They end the article by saying with Brosnan, we've got eight years, eight years left to turn the ship. I don't just mean push the needle, like literally turn the ship. Well, to wrap up today's climate report, let's run through some state news and then we'll talk about some solutions. Before we do, though, an interesting list of what are being called climate havens in the United States. Millions of Americans are living in communities with precarious climate conditions and houses that feel overpriced. There's a solution for many of these people, though, move to one of the so-called climate havens. Americans are fleeing climate change. Here's where they could possibly go. 
climate havens are situated in places in the country that are expected to avoid the worst effects of natural disasters and also have the infrastructure to support a larger population. Jesse Keenan, associate professor at Tulane University, named the following cities as possible climate havens, almost all of them surrounding the Great Lakes area. In alphabetical order by city name, the climate havens are Asheville, North Carolina, Buffalo, New York, Burlington, Vermont, Detroit, Michigan, Duluth, Minnesota, Madison, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Rochester, New York. Now, for those of us that might still be planning to stay in California for the foreseeable future, lots of good news, even though we are in a climate dangerous area. First off, California has set a new clean energy record as it pushes towards climate change goals. We're on the road to transitioning to net zero carbon emissions by 2045, and California set a new record for renewable energy. On Sunday, April 3rd, here in California, our grid hit the 97% renewable energy mark at 3.39 p.m. Sunday, April 3rd. That bested the previous record set a week earlier of 96% renewable energy. So folks that think it can't meet our demands, we're proving them wrong. 97% renewable energy earlier this month. Now, the U.S. Energy Information Agency says on its website, California is the nation's top producer of electricity from solar, geothermal, and biomass resources. We're also the nation's fourth largest producer um, measured by states of electricity from conventional hydropower. And in late March, the U.S. as a country marked another significant milestone when electricity generated by wind was the second highest source in the country over a 24-hour period, according to federal statistics. Well, some good news for people who are renters or in locations that aren't advantageous for solar. A new assembly bill is finally hoping to create a community solar market in California. Assembly Bill 2316 would create a community solar program that allows low-income and uh, people who also just don't have good sun to partake in the benefits of solar. This new bill would also ensure that 51% of people subscribing to community solar would be low-income people or low-income service organizations. Without the ability to purchase and install solar directly in a rented residence, community solar would offer a pathway to the 45% of Californians who rent their homes, and 70% of renters are considered low income. Other homes may lack the proper structure for solar, so community solar offers a pathway for homeowners to be connected. And community solar projects are often installed on landfills, former industrial sites, or small parcels of private land. It remains to be seen if this bill passes. For those of you that are PG&E customers, they have a solar choice program where if you aren't able to go solar and there isn't any community solar yet, allowed in uh, PG&E territory, you can sign up for their two different solar rates. There's 50% solar or 100% solar. And unfortunately, the 100% one has been oversubscribed and it now just has a waiting list. But don't worry, PG&E is getting ready to sign up 176 million watts of local solar in order to expand their solar choice program. So if you are someone that has been interested in purchasing 100% solar from PG&E, They're hoping to reopen that program soon. 
In Southern California, San Diego County is exploring ways to use their land to fight climate change. Sustainable farming practices can capture carbon in plants and soil, while marshes and wetlands can sequester carbon in tidal zones. High in biodiversity and rich in farmland, San Diego County spent time in a public workshop a couple of weeks ago explaining ways to expand agricultural use to capture and store carbon. Their plan is organized into sections covering energy, transportation, buildings, jobs, and land use, but farming got the bulk of the focus. Agriculture is the only sector that can switch from being a net carbon producer to a carbon sequestering sector. Farming techniques, including composting, orchard preservation, and restoring habitat along waterways can allow farms to retain carbon in natural systems. These and other practices can be known as carbon farming. Other techniques include perennial plantings, cover cropping, reducing soil disruption caused by tilling fields. All of this helps capture carbon, and these processes reduce the amount of fertilizer needed, increase crop yield, expand habitat, and improve soil and water retention on farmland. So San Diego County is showing what can be done when you focus on land use to capture carbon. Another uh, quick focus is seaweed when it comes to nature and natural solutions. A lot of people are looking for fancy technologies to help with the climate. And probably the fanciest technology on the planet is nature. It's a fantastic operating system. And we're finding that seaweed actually can be a high-protein food that doesn't take up more land, precious land that's needed for biodiversity and healing the planet. A lot of scientists are working on using seaweed to make biofuel as well as polymer plastics in addition to replacing meat with a high-protein food source. Well, we'd like to wrap up with a quick interview with a professor who has learned a lot about the American diet. And when it comes to solutions with the climate, 37% of global emissions of carbon are related to agriculture and our food systems. There is some great new research showing how a person doesn't have to go from a meat eater to a vegan in order to make a difference. Substitution really works. In an interview with Tulane Nutrition and food professor Diego Rose, he talks about what he learned that was most interesting about the substitution research on the American diet. His recent research published this year found that swapping one serving of beef for chicken each day would lower a person's dietary carbon by 48%. They analyzed 6,000 different foods that Americans eat. They looked at how they impact the environment and one kept rising to the top that blew away all other foods, and that was beef. What was most interesting in this interview was the very tail end of the questions where they asked about, well, what about if you raise beef very lovingly in a small, gentle way right near your home? And what's interesting is the research shows that when it comes to taking climate action through our diets, we must continue to reduce how much beef we eat, regardless of how the beef is produced. According to this interview, they asked, it seems like the way beef is raised would make a big difference in its environmental impacts. 
He says, even if you looked at the least impactful beef that's raised and all beef was raised that way, we'd still have to cut our consumption in half to be sustainable. It's just a high impact food. They looked at the efficiency of industrial feedlots and greenhouse gas emissions are actually lower there than the regenerative farmer in Montana who grows Bessie in the most loving of ways. He says there can be other benefits, of course, such as less fertilizer, less pesticides. Bessie is happier until she dies. But he continues and closes the interview by saying, unfortunately, we can't eat as much beef as we do, even if we're just eating lovingly raised Bessies. Well, for those looking for a quick 10 steps that you can take to lower your carbon footprint, we're going to close with a little article from the Washington Post in order. Number one, create less food waste. Number two, ditch your grass. Number three, save coral reefs by packing smartly for your vacation. Number four, shop sustainably by buying less. Five, protect our forests. Number six, trade in for an electric car when the time comes. Number seven, weatherize your home. Number eight, learn about the link between climate change and racial equity. Number nine, consider carbon offsets. And number 10, pass it on. Educating our peers is a great way to multiply our efforts. That's all for today's Climate Report broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. (laughs) 